0: Good morning. My name is uh, Andy Callis. If you don't know me, I'm the student pastor that's on staff here at the chapel. Good to be with you all this morning. Um, Jeremy already spoiled it. It is that time of year, New Year's resolution time. And uh, for some people, maybe not all, uh, a lot of times we're looking ahead at the new year and, and we want this year to maybe be a little bit better in some way than last year, right? So maybe we don't make a resolution, but we're thinking, how can I improve things for 2014 make them a little bit better than 2013. Um, I've been in personal training for almost 10 years now, and I see this firsthand because one of the main things that people want to do is improve their fitness. They want to get in better shape. And so uh, hundreds of people flock to the gym that haven't been there in a long time or maybe ever before, and they're willing to get up earlier, to go home later after work, um, to pump in more time, energy, and effort so that they can become more fit, so that they can get in better shape. And, um, you know, this is something that, is is tough to do, but we're willing to do it because, hey, it's going to take more. And it's going to take more effort. It's going to take more energy. It's going to take more, more, more if we're going to achieve, if we're going to improve. And I find that regardless, really, of what our New Year's resolution might be, a lot of times it has to do with more, more, and more. Whether it's, hey, we need more profit at our business. I need more sales. I need better grades. I need to get better at a certain sport. I need to play an instrument better. It's going to take more time, more effort, and more energy, and so we're just, we're just thinking about that, and thinking about how busy I already am. When I try to think about, oh, what do I want to improve? What kind of New Year's resolution can I come up with? It makes me tired. Even just thinking about it, I think, oh, well, gosh, I don't know if I have more to give. But oftentimes, that's what we're thinking when we're thinking about, hey, it's a new year, more, more, more. How can I, how can I get this done? And I want to suggest a different goal to you for 2014 that I think would help all of us. And uh, this is a goal that sounds really simple. And um, maybe sounds kind of weak to some people. And this is a goal, though, because our society is so busy. It is so needed. And the goal that I want to suggest for you and what we're going to talk about today is that you rest in 2014. That sounds good, doesn't it? Let's all just take a nap right now to get started. We need to rest. Man, we are busy, 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 and we live in a busy, busy culture. And we need rest. And um, as we're talking about rest today, we're going to talk about slowing down so that we can prioritize the things that should be important in our lives, okay? So, uh, and just kind of, and and not only that, but not knowing it, but reflecting it in how we live our life and how our weekly schedule uh, flows. And so, um, there's a lot of reasons why we can't rest, Um, a lot of statistics that show why people are too busy, how they're too busy. Uh, We know from personal experience, one of them is work. Some stats about work, 76% of people put money and work as the leading cause of stress in their lives. 41% are stressed out during the work day, an increase from just a year ago. 80% of 1,000 people surveyed stated that after leaving the office, because they're so preoccupied with all the things that they have to do, they can't just get it done whenever they're at work, they've got to bring it home, and they work an average of seven more hours a week whenever they're at home. routinely check their work emails at the dinner table because there's just so much going on, there's not enough time to get it done. Um, Another stat says that 38% of U.S. employees are taking all of their, I'm sorry, only 38% of U.S. employees are taking all of their earned vacation days. Most people feel like they have too much to do, they can't take a vacation, there's just too much that's going on. So we have an obsession, and with, we just have a lot on us. We have to get these things done. We've got to work harder. We can't take a break. And a lot of times, what does that cause? Well, it causes us to burn the candle at both ends, right? We're not sleeping enough. So that's another thing that stresses us out. About a third of working American adults, about 41 million people, say that they get less than six hours of sleep per night. That's usually not enough. And as we start to get sleep-deprived, and we've got too much on our plate, and we're working too much, we start to lose focus, don't we? We start to get distracted, and um, we see another uh, stat that talks about being distracted. This one's kind of funny, and I think I'm going to ask for a show of hands to see if you've done this before. Uh, 14% of adults and 22% of adults who use text messaging report being so distracted by their devices they physically run into a person or an object. Who's done that before? Be honest, bunch of liars out there. I've done it before. I've ran into something before, and oh, you, you feel? I mean. You feel kind of silly, but you're like, I just I've, even when I'm walking to the bathroom, I've got to get stuff done on my phone. You know, there's just not enough time. We're busy people. Sometimes it's our stuff that keeps us distracted and keeps us busy. Seven hundred thousand to one to one point four million Americans may have compulsive disorder syndrome because there's a syndrome, you know, for everything. Well, compulsive disorder syndrome is difficulty in throwing away anything for fear that they may need the items later. Have anybody in your house like that? I might have a couple. Some of you are raising your hands like, that's me. What if I need this later? You know, this Ziploc bag, I can't throw it away. What if I need it later? So many, many Americans, we are, we're working too much. We're sleeping too little. We're heavily distracted. We're burdened by all the stuff that we have to do. But why are we so busy? Why is it that we're so busy doing all this stuff and achieving all these things Um, psychiatrist Dr. Edward Hallowell writes in his book Crazy Busy, he he has some suggestions as to why we are so busy. One, he says cell phones are a touch away. We can connect with anyone or get an answer to pretty much any question within a matter of a couple seconds or a couple minutes. It's always there in our pocket. It's kind of a high. Um, We like the rush of going from place to place. You know, it's kind of exciting to get stuff done. It's a status symbol You know, if I'm really busy, that means I'm pretty important. There's a lot of people that need me, a lot of work that I need to get done, because this is important stuff, so it's kind of a status symbol. Um, Some people are afraid to be left out if they slow down. What are others going to think if I'm not there? I'm going to miss out on what's going on. Um, When we're busy, it helps us to avoid dealing with life's big issues. Like, hey, I'm going to die one day. I wonder what's going to happen after that. Maybe I should be prepared. That's a hard issue to deal with. It's much easier to deal with trivial stuff and kind of bounce around from one thing to the next, so we don't have to deal with the big issues of life. And lastly, he says, sometimes we just simply don't know how to not be busy. It's just kind of become part of who we are. And so we're all too busy. We all have too much on our plate. But another study that was very interesting uh, by CBS News showed that regardless of whether you're a business owner and you have loads of responsibilities, hundreds of employees under you that you have charge over, or whether you're a fast food worker and you just punch a clock and you check in and check out and you don't have maybe as many responsibilities, it doesn't really matter. You will make time for what's important to you. That you will make time for what's important to you, regardless of how many responsibilities or how busy you are. So in lieu of that, I just want to ask you, what is important to you? And if you look at your schedule and you look at your 168 hours that you spend each week, does your schedule reflect what's important to you? Are you pumping time, effort, and energy into the things that are important to you? And if not, maybe we need to take some time this New Year's to kind of recalibrate, to think things through a little bit, and to think, how do I need to adjust some things? Maybe there's some things I need to change or things I need to drop so that I can focus on resting, I can focus on the things that should be a priority in my life are a priority, but they're not getting the time and attention that they need. So three things we're going to look at today. Um, We're going to look at what is rest. We're going to look at why should we rest, and then we're going to look at how should we rest. So first, let's look at what is rest. Here's how Webster defines rest. A few different ways. Definition number one is to rest by lying down, especially sleep. Um, Which we struggle with that one number two is to cease from action or motion refrain from labor or exertion And number three is to be free from anxiety or disturbance So yeah, we all need to lie down and sleep It's kind of like god was trying to tell us. Hey, you people were designed to rest I mean, we're supposed to sleep about a third of our lives, right? So god was trying to make it pretty obvious you you're the type of people I created you in a way where you do need rest You need to sleep. Otherwise you lose focus. You get distracted. You can't be as efficient We're not going to talk about that too much today, but just an example of how not resting does change your priorities. We do a big youth event every uh, February, and it's called Disciple Now. And at Disciple Now, uh, students stay in host homes with their friends and leaders, and uh, students are just notorious for completely ignoring the bedtime of 1230 or one o'clock, whatever it is. They don't go to bed then. A lot of them stay up till three. Some of them don't go to sleep at all. And you can see by on Saturday night, that's changing their priorities. In fact, even last year, there was a We were doing recreation on Saturday night, and uh, there was a student that I saw early during that time, and then I started to look for him, and I couldn't find him toward the end of recreation. I thought, where did he go? I'm looking everywhere. I'm asking people, where did he go? Nobody knew where he went. Well, this high school boy, who's a very active person who loves recreation, he was so tired, he went out to his car, and he just slept in the car while we did recreation. And so when we're sleep-deprived, our priorities and our focus definitely changes. We're not really going to talk about that too much, but we need to make sure we're taking care of our bodies in that way. But primarily, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about ceasing from action or motion, really so that, that third definition, we can be free from anxiety and disturbance if we rest in the right way. And let me make real clear today, too, what I, I'm not talking about being lazy. Okay, resting and being lazy are not the same thing. When we look at the book of Proverbs, there's a lot of Proverbs that slam being lazy. We're not supposed to be lazy. One Proverb, uh, Proverb 15 Proverbs 15, 19 says, The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns, not something that we want to be like. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 26, talking about the parable of the talents, the, um, the um, servant that didn't do anything with the one talent that he got, he said, you're a wicked and you're a lazy servant. And so we're not talking about just sitting idly and not doing anything. We're talking about something different. Because when we work, we're supposed to work as if to the Lord and not for men, it says in Colossians 3, 23. But we are called to rest. Why? Well, when we look way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, what do we see? We see God created everything in six days, and during that time, what does he do? He rests on the seventh day. That's probably just because God was just so tired. He was so tired from creating everything, right? No, God wasn't tired. God could have been like, well, I'm going to make some more stuff. i got another day here before I complete the week. God rested to show us and to set a pattern for us. He sanctified that day to give us a pattern and an example. We need rest. We see in the Old Testament law in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 in the Ten Commandments, and then also in Exodus 31, 17, we see that the Sabbath law was always connected back to, they always mention creation week. Why do we do this? Well, it's because God, he worked real hard for six days, made everything, and then he rested for one day. So we're supposed to do the same thing. And um, another thing that they would do whenever they would rest on the sabbath in deuteronomy 5 15 it says it was also a time for israel to remember their deliverance from slavery so whenever we rest we're supposed to think back just like he commanded israel to do and think back hey who's in control who's created everything who's in charge of all the stuff that's going on it's god man it's good whenever i sit back and i remember that also too we're supposed to remember just like they did remember their deliverance from egypt we can sit back and we can think about man God has delivered me from so many things. He delivered me ultimately from sin and from death. He's delivered me from this situation and that situation. When I sit back and I slow down and I rest in those things, man, it energizes me. It gets my focus where it needs to be. So when we, when we rest in the, in the right way and we cease from that motion and labor and we worship God, that's the kind of rest that I'm talking about, and that's the kind of rest that we need. We rest in who God is and what he's done and in his plan for our life. So that's kind of what rest is when we're talking about rest. Not laziness, we're talking about resting in the Lord and who he is and what he's done. So why do we need rest? Number two, why do we need rest? Well, when we don't rest, things tend to break down. Using another exercise example, whenever you're exercising, you're not building your body up, you're actually tearing your body down. And so if you choose not to rest and recover and take care of yourself after you exercise, your body will not be built back up the way that it needs to be so that you can have another good workout session and get stronger over time. Well, in the same way in life, when we don't rest, we don't get built back up and better prepared for the tasks that God has for us to do. And the bottom line is I see this so much in my own life that when we're too busy to rest, I think the primary thing that we miss out on and the thing that breaks down, it's our relationships. It's our relationships. And kind of what I've boiled it down to today is there's really three relationships that I think God wants you to keep primary in your life. So often they start to break down. It's kind of like a glow stick. I brought some glow sticks up here today. Um, we use these a lot with, when we do youth games and stuff at night, camp and things like that. And uh, a glow stick is great when you first kind of break it and stuff, and all of a sudden it's light and real, it's, it's lit up real well. It glows, it's really vibrant, and people can see it. But then and it, can, and it works great for that first night. But then if we, we play with the same glow stick, like the next night, you're like, "Is that a glow stick?" Okay, I think it is. I can kind of see it. It's starting to break down. It's starting to lose its glow and lose its vibrancy. By the night after that, you might as well just throw it away. It's useless. It gradually has broken down. Well, I think in the same way, a lot of times our relationships, they start to lose that glow and that vibrancy. And so there's three relationships I want to talk to you guys about today that I think God wants for these things to be a priority in your life. I want them to be a priority in my life. But when we get too busy they start to dim. They start to lose their glow and their vibrancy. And so I've got a glow stick for each one. First, God wants our relationship with him to glow and to be vibrant. Uh, second, he wants our relationship with our family to glow and to be vibrant. And third, he wants our relationships within our personal ministry to glow and to be vibrant. And uh, if we could just turn off the lights just to give you a little kind of a view. Can you see those? Our relationship with God, our relationship with our family, and our relationship with those that are in our personal ministry, those are the things that God wants shining, God wants glowing in your life, and so often, whenever we aren't focusing on the right things, when we're too busy, they start to look like these glow sticks, I won't make you turn off the lights again, but these things are a couple days old, open these up on Friday, they're dead, they're useless, they're dim. And at the end of the day, we know really what matters is these three things, God, family, and personal ministry. So how do we keep those things glowing? So first of all, let's talk about your relationship with God and how often that will dim if you're too busy. Um, I know that I'll neglect my relationship with God when I'm too busy, and you might be like, well, <laughs> come on, Andy, you work at a church. I figure you just pray and read your Bible all the time. I mean, you've got plenty of time to do that. And uh, I do have a flexible schedule. But at the same time, just like you, I've got a lot of time-sensitive things too. I've got to send this email, I've got to send this text message, I've got to plan this event, I've got to prepare for this study. And so I too, if I don't spend time with the Lord in the morning before I get here, a lot of times I'm just boom, 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 one task to the next until it's time to go home. But I need to keep that relationship with God glowing and vibrant. Um, Yes, we're supposed to set aside a day. We don't have to observe the Sabbath anymore uh, as New Testament believers, but we also see in the book of Acts that they worshiped on the first day of the week. We're supposed to set aside a day of worship just like Israel did. But also, too, doesn't God want more than just 60 minutes here this morning? I think that he does, doesn't he? He wants a relationship with us. You can't get much of a relationship out of 60 minutes a week. He wants a relationship with us that is every day. That's maybe every hour, every minute even. Sometimes we need to remember our relationship with God and what he's done. One thing I think that that helps us to do is to remember we're not going through life alone. Life is busy. And life is hard, and I need to know, and I need to be reminded, God is with me, and he's on my side when I'm going through this, that he can help me. The Psalms are loaded with verses about God being our refuge, and he's there to shelter us from life's storms. Um, A great psalm is Psalm 46, and I'm not going to read all of it to you, but in verse 1 it says that God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in time of need or in trouble. It says also in verse 10, it says to be still and know that he is God. And this wasn't written by the psalmist during a family vacation. This was written when there was a lot of stuff going on that was scary, a lot of stuff that was keeping his mind preoccupied and that was fearful. It talks about in verses 2 through 3 of that same psalm it says the earth is going to be the earth is removed, is going to be removed. Uh, mountains were carried away to the sea, waters were roaring and the mountains were shaking. But it says he remembered the Lord And when the Lord uttered his voice in verse 7, the earth melted. In verse 9, he says, The Lord makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. Hey, God's got this all under control. All I've got to do is I've got to stop and remember that so that I can rest in my relationship with the Lord. Sometimes we just kind of keep plugging along, like, I've got to do this myself. I've got to work harder. I've got to put in more time. I've got to fix this. I've got to control this. When really what we need to do is we need to step back. And we need to just say, God, you're in control of all this. I know that. You've created everything in six days. I just need to re- recall who you are and how powerful you are. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11:28 through 30, he said, "'Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.'" And as a believer, it's kind of like we're going through life together, plowing the field with Jesus. We're yoked to him. We're connected with him. And I just wonder, how do you feel in your life? Do you feel like Jesus is pulling and he's carrying the weight? Or do you feel like you're usually carrying the weight and you're pulling along? It's kind of silly to think that Jesus is right there next to us and he says, hey, my yoke is easy and my burden's light if you'll just kind of let me pull. And a lot of times we don't because we're too busy, we're too distracted. It keeps us focused on ourselves and what we can do more than what God can do for us. So I just wonder, with your relationship with the Lord, are you just working and pushing and trying and trying to control and fix and doing things on your own? Are you busy, 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 trying to do more, more, more? How's your relationship with God? Is it glowing? Is it vibrant? Or is it dimming? Is it losing its uh, vibrancy? I hope it's glowing. But if it's not, maybe we need to slow down and we need to focus on that. The second thing that I see is my relationship with my family starts to dim. Some statistics about uh, family, they're spending less and less time together. The average American couple spends only about 40 minutes a week playing with their kids. The average American working couple talks to each other 12 minutes a day. If that's anything like the first 12 minutes when me and Sarah talk, it's usually like, all right, what's, what do we need to do tonight? What's coming up tomorrow? What's coming up this weekend? It's just schedule. It's not quality talk time. Over the past 20 years, structured sports time has doubled. Family dinners have declined by 33%, and family vacations have declined by 28%. So, so many things from sports to concerts to social clubs, school activities have taken us away from time together as a family. And that's a big problem. You know why? Because God says your family is supposed to be your first ministry. Don't skip over that. That's our first ministry. And so, we have to have time. The things that God's calling us to do in our family, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. So are we, are we pumping our time, effort, and energy into other stuff and neglecting our ministry with our family? I hope that we're not because the Bible says that there's a lot for us to do. It starts with marriage. In um, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 28, it says, Husbands, you're to love your wives as Jesus loved the church and died for her. You are to cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word so that you can present this woman to God one day that he's entrusted to you as as holy, as without blemish. That's a tall order. It takes time to do that. First Peter 3, 7 says to live with your wives in an understanding way. How can you love somebody sacrificially? How can you disciple them? How can you understand them better if you're not spending more than 12 minutes a day talking to them? You can't. You can't. And wives, in Ephesians 5, 24, it says you're called to submit to your husbands in everything. Proverbs 31 sets a high bar for wives to be trustworthy and to do good to her husband. The Proverbs 31 woman gets up early, goes to bed late, and uses great wisdom to provide for her husband and for her family. And she simply can't know the needs and expectations that he has whenever she is too busy to spend more than 12 minutes a day with him. And on top of that, both parents, not only are you supposed to pay attention to your marriage, but... You're supposed to disciple your children first, too. This should be fresh on our mind. If you've been here, we've been talking about discipleship, about making disciples. Well, that really needs to start with your family. Look there first. Are you discipling your kids? Are you discipling your spouse? It says in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, the Lord tells Israel to teach diligently all the commandments of the Lord to their kids. When are they supposed to do it? Well, when they're sitting at home, when they're walking around, when they're lying down, whenever they're getting up. And basically, they're supposed to just have his laws on their walls and have this stuff present everywhere in every way so that they're always speaking and teaching about the Lord. 1 Timothy 3.5, it says, If a man wants to be an elder in the church, but he can't rule his own household well, then he can't rule over the church well either. He's not qualified. It also says in Titus 1.6, kind of the same thing. It says, Hey, if you're an elder, then your kids should be faithful to the Lord. Why? Because you're pumping time, effort, and energy into those kids to disciple them in the ways of the Lord. And again, there's no way we can do this. We can't make our family ministry first. It will start to lose its glow and lose its vibrancy if we don't take the time that's needed to focus on that. The last relationship that often dims in my life, and maybe yours too, is my personal ministry. And I know if I've got a lot going on, I've got a lot on my plate, and I get home at 5.30, and I know that my 4-year-old daughter, Emmeline has gymnastics at uh, 7 o'clock over in Jackson, I know supper's not ready, and I see my neighbor standing outside. And I'm like, I know what I should do. I should talk to them, see how they're doing. Um, I should, you know, put on a happy face. But whole, the whole time I'm busy. I'm thinking I've got to get out of this vehicle. I have to try to sneak past them or maybe just a casual high and then turn my back and I've got to go because I've got too much going on right now. I can't have a personal ministry with my neighbor right now. I'm too busy. I have too many things on my plate. Maybe I'm not the only one that's thought that or that's done that before. I feel bad doing it, but I'm just like, I've just got too much that's going on. Same thing if I'm, if I'm at the gym. The last thing that I'm thinking is, how can I strike up a spiritual conversation with uh, this person working out or with this trainer over here when I know I've got a lot on my plate this week. I've got to be at a school lunch in an hour. I'm not thinking about personal ministry. I'm thinking about I've got a lot of tasks. I get very task-oriented when I've got too much going on and not people-oriented. Now, I'm not saying that uh, there's not tasks that we need to do. There is stuff that we need to do, and that's fine. Uh, We need to work at our tasks that God has given us. We need to work at those things hard. But if we're always putting personal ministry on the back burner in life because we're too busy, that's not where God wants us to be. Does that make sense? Personal ministry needs to be glowing. It needs to be vibrant. Here's some things that God's called us to do. Whether you're a pastor like me or whether you do something else, regardless of your career, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are called to be the light of the world. We are called to make disciples of Jesus. We are called to fish for men. We are called to use spiritual gifts to minister to others. We are called to bear one another's burdens. We are called to suffer with other suffering believers and rejoice with other, re, with other rejoicing believers. And all of those things, they take time. They take time. If you're too busy, those things are going to fade. They're going to dim. They're not going to be as important to you as they should be. You won't be there to be able to step up when God wants to use you. So, convicting, possibly? Man, we're so busy. I'm busy, too. I don't have this down. I'm just telling you. I mean, i was just as convicted as I'm going through thinking about how many things that I do that I probably shouldn't do and how busy that I am. I don't focus on the right things. None of us are making straight A's on these things. There's probably at least one of these areas where you're like, you know what? I need, I need to focus on one of these things. I need to focus on my relationship with God. It's starting to dim. I need to focus on my relationship with my family because that's starting to dim. Or I need to focus on my relationship with those that I'm involved with personal ministry or should be involved with personal ministry with, coworkers, neighbors, because it's starting to dim. So how do we slow down? If you're convinced, yeah, there's some stuff I need to work on, well, how am I supposed to do it? Well, let me go through four things that I think you, uh, that might, might be helpful to get you to try to slow down Number one is to pray about and reflect on your priorities. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So ask God to show you, hey, God, where are my priorities out of whack? Where are they out of balance here? Because God really cares about his relationship with you, your relationship with your family, and your relationships where you're trying to minister to other people. He really cares about that. And I bet if you take some time to slow down and pray about it and ask God to show you, I bet he will. I really think that he will, because it's too important for him not to. And then let me just ask you, if you know your priorities or God shows you your priorities, look at your semester, look at your week. Is your week reflecting those priorities? Are they really a priority in your life based on how you live? Because where you spend your time, that's where your investment is, right? We think about spending, and usually we think about money. Well, if I'm spending a lot of money on this thing, I'm investing in that thing. Well, you spend time, too, Whenever you're spending time, you're making an investment in that thing. So what are you investing in? For example, you might be spending a lot of time on your ball field or on the ball field, and that's your investment. Maybe it's you or your kid, and maybe one day you'll get a scholarship and, and, and grow in leadership, and there's nothing wrong with sports. There's a lot of great things connected with them. But what if you're so busy and so swamped and do so much outside of even just the season of that sport that you can't focus on your relationship with God and it's starting to dim. Is that sport, is that game as important as your relationship with the Lord? Maybe we need to kind of think about, how can I change this? How can I tweak this? Maybe God's even calling me to just stop. I don't know. I don't know what it is for you, but if things are out of whack, we need to slow down, we need to pray, we need to ask God, show us our priorities. That's the first thing. Number two is learn to say no. Most of us aren't very good at saying no, right? Well, and here's the reason why I think it's hard for us to say no. Number one, it's our pride. We don't want other people thinking I'm not committed enough or that I don't care enough. We don't want people thinking that about us. Well, the roots of those thoughts kind of in a weird way is really how do I look? What are other people going to think of me if I say no? That's really rooted in pride. It says in Proverbs 16, 18, very familiar verse, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If you want to fall... Just keep saying yes to everything that everybody asks you to do, and you will get so distracted and so busy. These things that should be a priority in your life, they'll start to fade away. They'll start to dim. You've got to learn to say no. You've got to let your pride go. Another thing that we do, that, or that we struggle with that makes it hard, hard for us to say no is our doubt, and this is really bad like in Christian life and in church life. Well, if I don't do it, then who's going to do it? I mean, I've got to lead this Bible study. I mean, I have to be the one that leads this person, that reaches out to this person. I've got to be the one. Well, do you seriously think God can't raise up somebody else? I mean, maybe that's not something that you're supposed to be doing right now. Maybe there's somebody else, but you're just hanging on, and you're really occupying a position that somebody else has time for and would love to minister in. We can get very, very busy with ministry. We've got to pray about our priorities, and we've got to learn to say no. Um... At had a time not too long ago where someone uh, was kind of reaching out to me and said, hey, I, I could use some help, I could use some counsel, I could use some accountability. And, uh, you know, do you think you would have time to do that? I was kind of saying what he was looking for. And I was sitting there thinking, man, I just, I really want to help, but I just don't know if I have the time that this person is looking for. And so instead of really praying much about it, I just kind of worried about it. And I was just like, oh, man, I've got to be the guy. How am I going to pull this off? Well, Thankfully, he was very prayerful, and he didn't just ask me. He asked somebody else, too. And he just kind of prayed, I've asked these two people, God, you know, you work this out, that one of the two will be able to hook up with me and and give me the the counsel and the accountability and stuff that I need. Well, thankfully, the second guy that he talked to, it it was exactly what he was looking for. It was exactly what he needed. He had the time for it. And so instead of praying, I'm sitting over here just trying to figure out, I don't want to tell him no because I care about him. But, you know, and I'm struggling with it instead of just praying and just knowing, hey, God's big. I don't need to doubt. God's going to take care of his child here, and maybe he doesn't need to use me in this situation. So we have to learn to say no. Um, thirdly, we need to begin by taking baby steps. You know, you're not going to intimately know God and be this super Christian tomorrow or uh, later on in life unless you just all of a sudden say, hey, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to spend a quiet time with God today or tomorrow morning. I haven't been doing that. I'm going to start with that. I'm going to start doing some Bible study, just five minutes a day. I need to start something. You're not going to have a dynamic marriage until you're like, you know what, I'm just going to spend 10 minutes talking to my wife. You know, a focused time together each day. You're not going to be a superhero for your kids unless you start to connect with them, having a date with them every so often. You're not going to lead a bunch of people to Christ unless you know what Romans 6.23 says and you know how to share the gospel. We have to start small. We have to be intentional with small things. Author and counselor Dr. Randy Carlson of Intentional Living in his book The Power of One Thing says, Either you let circumstances control you or you take responsibility for what's under your control. You may not be able to make big life changes overnight, but by committing to follow through one small thing every day, you can inch yourself closer and closer to your goal. So just be intentional right now. I know I've heard a lot of pastors say that with your marriage, you need 10 minutes a day, one night a week, kind of like a date night, one day a month to spend together, and then two or three short trips a year. So I've heard that enough, and I think maybe that's true. Maybe I should give that a shot. And so Sarah and I are good at, at half of those. Um, but one of the things that we kind of struggle with, we've got three young kids that are six and under, and we've had people that come over sometimes that don't spend a lot of time around us and say, it's really chaotic over here. And I'm like, it is. And uh, we don't have focused time whenever the kids are awake. So it's going to be after 8.30, after 9 o'clock, before we have focused time. And then at that point, we're pretty tired. And so sometimes that 10 minutes of focus time is the last thing that we're thinking about. We're just thinking, we're tired. You're ready for the next day. Let's go to bed. But as I was preparing this stuff, and I want to do these things as well not just tell you to do them, I was like, you know what? Hey, it's 9.50. We're getting ready to go to sleep. I said, let's take 10 minutes, and let's just do this right now. We haven't, we haven't done it for a little while, and we had a devotion book that was given to us uh, over Christmas time. and I said, hey, let's, let's just check this out. So the 10 minutes became more like 20 or 25 minutes, and we loved it. It was great. And so it just takes something small. I'm hoping that that small step will become a staple in our lives as we just continue to do it. So start small. Do something small and just do it now. And get it moving in the right direction. The last thing is make a big change. So maybe you know through prayer, through counsel from other people, through your circumstances in life, you know, hey, I don't really need a small change. I need a big, drastic change. And I'm kind of scared. I'm kind of worried about what's on the other side of that door, but I know that by faith I need to walk through it. It says in Hebrews eleven six. it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Maybe you just need to trust God that in this big change, he's going to reward you with something you, you have no idea what it is yet. Uh, Randy Frazzi, in his book, Making Room for Life, he suggests two different kinds of big changes. A substantial change which is a major change of an existing system. So you're just making a huge tweak in what you're already doing. And then the second thing he says is a radical change, which is scrapping the old system for a completely new system. We're done with doing life that way. We're going to start doing it this way. He had several examples in his book. It's a good book, Making Room for Life. I'd encourage you to look at it if this this topic is something you struggle with. But one of the examples that he had was maybe you need to make a big change in your child's homework habits. Man, Working with youth, I'm just like, how do they do it? They're doing homework until midnight, and they're getting up at 5 o'clock and running cross-country for you know, practice in the morning because it's too hot in the afternoon. It's unbelievable how busy they are and how much homework is being put on them. But a substantial change that he suggests, again, this is a big change. This would be hard to do. He says "Tell your kids, hey, because your homework habits, they're eating into our family time, and we're just going to say straight up, school's not as important as our family. I want you to make good grades, but if we need to change something here so that our family can be a priority, we're going to do that. It says make sure that their homework is done by 6 p.m., use Saturdays to catch up, and be open to B's or C's. Oh, I can never do that. It's my kid's education. Well, maybe God's calling you to make a big change. Education's super important, but is it more important than your family ministry? No, it's not. Maybe it's a radical change, not just a substantial change, a radical change. He suggests, hey, homeschool your kids. You can get a great education that way, and allow your family to keep control of their schedule and their homework load. I could never homeschool. I don't even know how to teach. I mean, how could we do that? I mean, I don't know. But maybe God's calling you to do a radical change so that you can focus on what needs to be a priority in your life. Another example he had was, he said maybe you need to make a big change in your two-income household Uh, because of stress from both parents working. They're so busy and spending so many plates because of work, and there's just too much going on. And he said, well, a substantial change would be look for flexible work that allows you to adjust out, to have adjustable hours or to maybe work from home some. Well, I can never do that. I've been in this career for so long, and I don't know how to do anything else. Well, maybe God is calling you to make a substantial change because that job is affecting so many other things that are supposed to be a priority in your life. You can't slow down and rest. A radical change would be said downsize to one income and to adjust your family's consumption. Well, we can never do that. I mean, look at the bills that we have. It's just impossible. Well, maybe, maybe you need to move. You can move to a smaller house so that you can afford uh, things on one income. Well, that's a radical change. Yeah, it is. It's not impossible, though. If God's calling you to do something that's going to be hard, I mean, he'll see you through it. He'll make things work out. We have to trust him if God is calling us to make a big change. I just want to end with this. Um, there was a, a story about a pastor who was a great pastor, a real evangelistic guy. He had let, He started a church plant, and he had led... Uh, well over 100 people to Christ. I mean, the people that are coming to this church, like they were new believers, and it was exciting, and God was blessing this ministry left and right. He was also working full-time because he wasn't really getting much of a paycheck from this church plant, and so he had to work to provide for his wife and his small kids. So things are going great in his life, and then he comes home one day, and his wife looks him in the eye, and she says, if I didn't love the Lord, I would leave you right now. And so he's shocked, and he's like, what? What? He didn't have a clue that she felt that way. So it just it blows the doors off of everything. He starts to pray. He starts to think about his priorities in life and trying to figure out what does he need to do? What is God calling him to do? He has over 100 new believers that are, that are connected with him, looking to his leadership so they can grow in their faith. That's a lot of weight that's coming down on him. But after a couple of days of contemplation and praying, he went to the elders of the church and he said, I can't do this. I can't do this right now. I've got to step back. I've broken trust with my wife. I've made my marriage more to the church than to her. And so I've got to make a radical change here. And I can't do ministry anymore here. And so they were shocked. But he said, you know what? I had to take the next 11 months of my life to just work the other job that I had so I could build up the trust and I could build up the relationship that God had called me to first. And he went back into ministry and he worked in ministry for 30 more years now has a vibrant marriage and relationship in his 60s with his wife. Um, his kids, they're all walking with the Lord and raising kids for Christ. And he works for Focus on the Family, telling people his story and telling people how we've got we've to rest, we've got to slow down, we've got to quit being so busy so that we can make first things first. And I want to just leave you guys with this challenge, or if you just like glow sticks. Um, there's going to be some glow sticks that are going to be sitting outside the main doors today. And if you're like, you know, I I know that something needs to change because these three things, my relationship with God, my relationship with my family, my relationship with those that I have personal ministry with, these things are suffering because I just got too much going on. I need to slow down. I I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but you know what, just to help me remember the commitment that I know I need to make and I want to make, I'm going to make that small step today, just picking up a glow stick on the way out. There's a few hundred back there, so I hope we run out. And maybe you just start praying tonight. You start talking to your family. You start talking to your boss, and you just figure out, what is God asking me to do so I can slow down this year and I can make what needs to be a priority in my life a priority? Um, We're going to end with communion today, and communion here is open for anyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ. And as we think about communion and we think about busyness, let's focus on how Jesus did all the work. Jesus did all the work on the cross so that we can rest in our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves good enough in God's sight that we could be saved under our own strength and energy. It's all about what Jesus did and all about the work that he did on the cross. Let's reflect on that. Let's reflect maybe on some of the challenges that are presented to you today and what God's asking you to do uh, as we go into communion. Let me pray for you all. Father, we are very busy. Uh, We have so much going on. And, uh, God, I just wonder, I mean, when I look at my own life, I know that there's things that I'm focused on that I shouldn't be. There's things that I say yes to that maybe I shouldn't have. There's ways that uh, I'm not making the most important things in my life a priority, and I need to, and we need to. Instead of just continuing on, just on this hamster wheel, God, of just flying through life and not making you, our family, our ministry to others, most important thing. That is the most important thing, God. We confess that oftentimes we fail in that area. I pray that you would help us. God, help us to slow down enough to think more about this, to go into 2014 with maybe a different view of how we can live life, and we can live life with your priorities in mind. God, we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he did all the work for us to be saved from our sin and from death. Um, just pray that you would also speak to us about that during this time as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.